Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but in a given week, there are a lot of things that I think I'm going to work on, I think I'm going to do, I'm trying to think about, and then there are a lot of other things that are really distracting, right? And you know, one of the things that I think that Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 12 is he's identifying some of the things that distract us, that make us focus on the here and now, that just the moment right in front of us, so that we lose track of eternity, and I know uh, my kids have found this to be their number one excuse in life. Why aren't you getting ready for bed? Because he distracted me. And it's always somebody else's fault, right? But Jesus wants us to break through those distractions. And, and last week was a perfect example of it. He's warning us about hypocrisy in our last chapter because he knows that what people think of us distracts us from really being able to deal with what's inside of us, Right? Well, and another thing, like we just sang, Lord, I need you. And while I'm seeing that, it is like the only thing that is true in the world, and it could not possibly be more true. That is all I want. Better is one day in his house. All of these things. But then when I open my eyes, like all of the distractions are waiting, and one of those distractions is our treasure. And so in the next few weeks, we're, we're, we're seeing Jesus kind of lay out something of a treasure map Because he wants us not to be so focused on the here and now, but on kind of where we're going. You know, how are we preparing for what is ahead? Because the distractions that keep us focused here and now on these things keep us from preparing for that. And so last week, he used kind of some heavy words, and he's going to do that again really for the next few weeks as we study this chapter Because he wants to break through whatever that shell is, whatever that distraction is, whatever that thing is that keeps pulling our eyes back down to me, to myself, to just this moment, and losing sight of what it is that he's doing on a bigger scale because he knows that what is ahead goes way farther ahead than just this life right here, right? And so at the end of our passage today, he's going to use this really interesting phrase about being rich toward God, but it's not actually where he begins In fact, if you remember last week, we left off with him saying that anyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before the angels of God. And he continues with that idea into Luke chapter 12. We're picking up in verse 10 this morning, where he says this, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Whoa. Okay, stop right there for a second. (laughs) He's going to show us how critical the work of the Spirit is as we prepare for what is ahead. And I don't know about you, but if I hear a verse that says that there is something that can't be forgiven, I would like to just hold on a minute. Let me make sure. What does that mean so that if nothing else, I don't do that one, right? Whatever that is. And so this becomes a hot topic that, you know, a lot of us dive into because we really want to know, well, what is that thing? And what if I did it? Like, what if it's already too late? You know, we get stuck in this kind of moment. But listen to the next couple verses, and and then we'll come back and see what I think Jesus is talking about here. Because in 11 and 12, on that same slide, it says, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now we know we can see examples right in Scripture of people who spoke a word against the Son of Man and were forgiven. Right, Paul, when he was still Saul, like he was making a career out of speaking the word against the Son of Man, telling people that Jesus was not the Messiah, killing them for saying he was. 
And we know that he was forgiven because he wrote most of the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter, who was already following Christ, denied him three times as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. And he was forgiven. So what is this thing, then, the blasphemy against the Spirit? Well, essentially, the idea there is that we call the Spirit a liar. And some of the primary work that the Holy Spirit does is, one, convicting the world of sin. Right? This idea that I don't live up to my own standards, let alone God's, and that I actually need forgiveness. That is work that the Holy Spirit does in us. Like, I I can try to guilt you, I can try to make you feel bad, I can make a list and say how many of these things are yours, but... I don't convince you of any of that and you don't convince me of that. It's the spirit that works on my heart and works on your heart to let us know we need a forgiver. And then it's the Holy Spirit who testifies to the truth of the reality that Jesus is that forgiver. So part of this was for the crowd that was around Jesus right now, for the Pharisees that he was talking to in that day, because they had the Son of Man, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, the Messiah, standing right in front of them, And the Holy Spirit burning into their hearts. This is the one. He is here that you've been waiting for. And by their actions, they were calling the Spirit a liar. Saying, no, that's not who he is. Denying him. But there's also a sense in which it is for us. But I think this is what it is. Because if the Spirit's role is to tell me that I need a forgiver and to tell me that Jesus is that forgiver then blaspheming the Holy Spirit, telling the Spirit he's a liar, the idea is that if that persists, when I have fully and finally rejected that truth that the Spirit is trying to speak through the end of my life, then forgiveness is no longer available. And so Jesus is giving us this warning, and if you want to know, so how do I avoid that one? Well, it's as simple as realize you need a forgiver, And believe that Jesus is that forgiver. (laughs) You know, if that's something that you haven't done before, that's a great place to start, is just being open to that. You know, that's what changed for Paul. You know, that's what was true for Peter. That's what can be true for us. Because then beyond that warning, Jesus also gives us this incredible promise that when you are brought before the authorities, so synagogues, magistrates, authorities, when you're pulled in front of people who are going to challenge you for believing that Jesus is the forgiver... The Spirit is still doing that same work. That if he's the one that testifies to who Jesus really is, then when you're pulled into that moment and you need words to testify to who Jesus is, the Spirit will do that through you because that's what the Spirit does. And Jesus knew that they were going to face persecution, that they needed this encouragement because one of the things that the early church was the most afraid of was that they would fail when the moment came to really speak clearly about why they loved and followed Jesus. You ever felt that? Maybe you haven't been pulled in front of the synagogue. (laughs) I haven't. But even with friends and family. You know, I know for years I thought to myself, but I, you know, what if they ask hard questions? Or what if I don't have the answers? Or what if I get it wrong? Or what if I don't say it right? So you know what? Like, somebody else has that gift. Somebody else has that expertise. Somebody else went to school for that. Somebody else is the evangelist. I'll let them do it. I'll just kind of take care of myself. Honestly, I think that grieves the Spirit because he says, I want to help you in that moment. Don't avoid that moment. I want to speak through you because that's what I'm here for. And so Jesus gives us that encouragement. Now I wonder, as we read these few verses, 
You know, e- even in the last couple chapters, as we've seen Jesus talk about how God is such a good giver, how much more will he give the Spirit to those who ask? And here he's telling how the Spirit will work through you. He's telling how to avoid this danger of denying the Spirit. Like, what would your follow-up question be? Like, maybe, Jesus, could you be a little bit more clear about what, what that blasphemy is? Could you, I just want to know exactly what you're talking about. Or maybe, hey, what will it feel like when the Spirit speaks through me? How will I know that it's really him and that's really what he's doing? Those would be a couple of mine. I don't know. What, what would yours be? Well, somebody in the crowd actually had a chance to ask a follow-up question. And I don't know if I love verse 13, but it sure is fascinating to me because this is what happens. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Seriously? But, like, have you been listening at all? Like, he's talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about hell. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God can speak through you and your follow-up is, oh, when is he going to stop talking about all this religious stuff, right? Like, hey, I got a problem that I brought with me today. So here's what I think is interesting about this. You know, one of the things that Peter asked us to pray about last week as, as he was sharing from the beginning of chapter 12 was how hypocrisy sometimes comes out of what is the thing I want the most? And I think this gentleman kind of reveals that in himself without even realizing it. Because for all the things that Jesus was talking about, he was here today because there's something he wanted from Jesus. So I think we can just ask ourselves that question. What do I want from Jesus? Now I want to be careful here because I'm not telling you that we shouldn't bring concerns to Jesus. We don't really know the full situation. Was his brother being unjust? Was there some, something wrong in the family? I, I don't know. So this isn't to say that we shouldn't pray about those things, we shouldn't bring that stuff to God, but this is the distraction. Right? This was the thing that as Jesus was unpacking all of this incredible stuff that affects your now and affects your forever, he's missing it because he's thinking about basically stuff. So what do I want from Jesus? What is it that distracts me that might make me miss what he's trying to teach me even here this morning? Because honestly, some of these passages, you know, they're so difficult. And there's a part of me that wants to be like, well, thank goodness, I, I don't deal with this one. Why don't we just skip this one? I'm sure that's not a problem for me. <laughs> and that is exactly when you are in the most danger. So to slow down on this thing and, and let that in a little bit, and Jesus does that. And so I love this, that in verse 14, he doesn't dismiss the guy. He doesn't send him away. He doesn't, he doesn't tell him off. He doesn't say, that's not what we're here for. And Luke even writes it down. And it, it, it's just incredible because, you know, so many times we're like, like, we don't want to talk about money, but this guy brought it up. So Jesus is like, okay, then let's talk about it. And this is what he says. Notice, he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them like he brought it up but there's something we all need to know take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses jesus is saying that stuff that inheritance whatever that is that's not who you are now i'll bet that most of us here probably would agree with that statement, right? Like if we went around the room one by one and I said, what is the most important thing in your life? 
And how many of us would actually say, well, you know, I love my friends and my family. You know, those things are important. God, God matters. But, you know, really, I would say my life is all about my abundance of possessions. Like nobody says that, right? Like we probably all agree with this point already. And yet Jesus is trying to break through because he knows how many times we would say that. We would mean that. We would never say that to somebody else. And yet we kind of trip into this mode of thinking or this mode of behavior because of that distraction that we are no longer preparing for what is ahead because those material things distract us in the here and now. But Jesus knows that your life is not about your possessions. It's not about what you have or don't have, right? Our life on this earth, this timeline, is just such a blip on the radar compared to the eternity that he is preparing us for. And Jesus knows that who I am, my value to him, is not my position, it's not my job, it's not what I have, what I don't have. It's why he was friends with people like Levi, the tax collector, a wealthy man who gave it all up to follow Jesus. And he's also friends with people like Joanna, you know, a woman who was the the wife of the right-hand man to Herod, his financier, who was very wealthy, didn't give up any of that, but put it towards Jesus to support his ministry. People like Nicodemus, influential in the community. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who gave his tomb to Christ. He was friends of lepers who had no friends, healed them and showed them what the kingdom was like. He was friends with the rich and the poor, the sick and the well, the affluent, the influential, the down and out, the outcast, because he knows that my life is not my stuff. When he looks at you, when he looks at me, he's not so concerned about my position, my possessions, or my place in this life, because he's thinking about the place you have in his kingdom. So to break through this barrier for this man, he, he tells a parable in verse 16 to get right to the point. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater I'll build bigger barns, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you then whose will those things be which you have provided? The tone changes pretty quick for the guy who came to ask this question. Hey, my brother's not being fair. Would you tell him to share with me? Let me tell you about how you could die today. (laughs) But realistically, I mean, this is a reality, right? We all have this night. We don't know when it is. If you're sitting here and breathing right now, it hasn't happened yet. And yet we all know people. We all care about people. Where we've seen this happen and life is cut short far sooner than we thought it would be. You know, that Jesus gives us this reminder of the delicacy of life 
the reality that we don't know our timeline, we don't control our life in this story, because in reality, this guy actually asks the right question. Right in the middle of that, he says, what shall I do? What shall I do? Basically, with my stuff. What's really interesting here is that this, this is not a condemnation of wealth. Right? It, it appears that the man was already wealthy and then had one of like, the best years of his life. And the picture here is when it says that, that his land yielded plentifully, it may be that he has land as in a farmer who works the land and just got a bumper crop. It, it could actually also be the idea that he is over a land, like a region, something like a governor, that when this region, this area, this whole group of people do well, well, some of that comes back to him as the one who's leading them well. And so that he is building up wealth. So it, it might be kind of like, like today. I was talking to a friend last week who was pointing out to me how he realized that the stock market is higher than it ever has been before. So when I have stock, I expect that to grow, right? That should build wealth. And when I think about my earthly wealth, that's a piece of it, right? But then there's like the best stock market ever, which means these things are worth more than I could even have imagined. Like my personal value was here. Now it's over here. This is great. What should I do with all this extra stuff? And look at how he answers. I, my, I, my, me, my, I, my, me, my. You see, this isn't a wealth problem. It's a selfishness problem. That's why Jesus said, beware of covetousness. That when he was blessed in his life, that that it appears to be something that even he was surprised how well this was going. His sole response, his only response and his sole response was, more for me. This is going to be so nice for me. I can just relax for like years now because it's all for me. I mean, you can hear it, right? You know, Pastor Chad has mentioned a couple times in the last few weeks, you know, we've heard Chad talking about kind of this soul talk. You know, how do I speak truth to my soul, the truth that God would speak to me? And so how interesting that he says soul, chill out and keep it for yourself. Right, that the truth isn't breaking through there. And that's why God asks him that different question. Well, whose will those things be? You know, this idea of, of, of who's really going to get my stuff. And what's interesting here, you, you think about that phrase that he gives himself, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if this nice fellow had been attending an equipping service like you are today, and if they had gone through the book of Ecclesiastes or maybe Isaiah, he would know that that phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, actually comes from two places in the Old Testament, and both of them are bad. <laughs> One of them is Ecclesiastes, where he says how futile it is to eat, drink, and be merry. And maybe you've experienced this. I know I have. If you go through life trying to pursue the stuff that makes you happy, pursue the comforts of the world, and they are comfortable, and they bring short-term happiness, but the more you pursue that, you find that it never actually satisfies, and so you're just going after more and more and more, and you never quite get there. And Ecclesiastes says it's pointless It's futile to eat, drink, and be merry. The other one is Isaiah, where God comes to the people and says, you have been so rebellious that you are facing punishment to the point that you may even die. And the people say, well, 
Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Like, no, 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 no. This was meant to be a chance to repent, to come back to God, to draw near to him. And they say, well, I mean, if we're going to die anyway, might as well throw one more party. Right? So, so obviously Jesus is telling this parable and he puts these words in the man's mouth because he wants them to realize how crazy it is to actually think that that's the way that life works. And I think you get this. You know, it's the kind of thing that we laugh at. If you've ever heard this J.D. Rockefeller quote, you know, J.D. Rockefeller had, I, I think still, the greatest fortune that any single person has ever had. He was something like $138 billion at one point. And when they broke up his monopoly... Each individual company actually made more money. He became even more wealthy. And so somebody comes and asks him one day, Mr. Rockefeller, like if anybody knows the answer to this question, it's you. How much money does it take a man to be happy? And Rockefeller says, a little bit more. A little bit more? The first time I heard that line was actually on an episode of The Simpsons where somebody asked Mr. Burns, the richest guy in town, they say, Mr. Burns, you already have so much. And he says, but I'd give it all up for a little more. I thought, that's hilarious. Then I find out somebody actually said that? Are you kidding me? And it's easy to pick on them, but then I realize how easy it is to trip into this myself and how we need to check our own hearts. We've been trying to teach my kids this at home you know, Melissa and I will, will refer to it as stuffitis. Stuffitis is the disease of stuff. <laughs> what happens is, this, this especially happens at our house with stuffed animals, because somehow all, all four of our kids have like 50 stuffed animals, like you could ever play with that many, right? But they just keep showing up. And so every six months or so, we'll, we'll do like this purge. So everyone bring your stuffed animals out, you know, choose the few that are your favorite, and we'll keep those, and we'll give the rest away, because most of them are like barely touched, Right? But this is what happens every time. Do you want this one? Yes, I want that one. You want this one? I want that one too. Well, we have to give some of these away as you go through the list. You don't even play with this one. Why do you, why do you need to keep this one? I just want it. Kids, right? And maybe me too. Because <laughs> here's what I've noticed. Like my kids, whenever I start worrying too much about if I have enough, or when I start getting too excited about wanting more, I figured out the antidote for stuffitis for me is like, oh, it's time to give something away. Right? Like when I start worrying about money, before I figure the thing out, I think I need to give some money away. Because that breaks through that shell. You know, that moment where I just start to trip into this thinking that money will make me comfortable or stuff will make me secure. It's like, well... How about I give some of that away because that will, that will remind me that this is not my life. You know, it's funny because uh, we bought a house a couple of months ago. And before we moved in, we were praying for months and, and God was teaching me so many things. And one of these things was like, it's just a house and it's just money. If I buy that house on a Tuesday and he comes back on a Wednesday, I don't actually need that house, right? It's all going to burn up anyway. So God, this is your house and I want to use it for your glory. So wherever we end up, you know, who are our neighbors? Like, that's what matters to me. How how am I going to represent you well in that community? How can I serve people in that community? How do I get to know my neighbors and bless them? You know, kind of like Neil was talking about, you know, how Psalm 84 talks about the pilgrimage we're on. And how we can bless others around us. And so we're praying that way for months. You know, we, we get the house, we close on the house, we move in, we start meeting neighbors. Oh, this will be great. But then neighbors start knocking on the door like when I'm trying to read. 
or when I'm trying to, you know, listen to the Bills game or when I'm trying to just chill. And, it's, and this piece in my head starts saying, literally, not right now. This is my time. This is, this is my house. Whoops. <laughs> And a couple weeks in, I mean, it was a couple weeks of kind of feeling that way, like almost getting annoyed at, wait a minute, the neighbors that I said, God dropped me in a neighborhood where I can get to know them and love them? And his spirit ripped that out of my heart because he was like, hey, what was that thing you and I were talking about for the last 10 months before you bought this house? And how easy it is to trip into feeling like, but it's mine, right? And so the spirit had to open up my heart so I could open up my door and ask this question instead, if it's... Maybe not quite who gets my stuff, but where am I investing? Where am I investing? Am I investing in me or am I investing in the kingdom? So Jesus ends with this line in 1221. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What a fascinating phrase. You know, I think in some ways this actually probably comes out of Psalm 49 that talks about the exact same thing, the danger of building up wealth, right? It, it uses this phrase, when I bless myself during my life and everyone else says, look how blessed you are, that we come to the end of our life and find out, <laughs> same kind of harsh words, you die like a beast with nothing, okay? But the end of that one is, this, is almost the same here because it says that's what it's like if you have wealth without understanding, Right? Because if you have understanding, if you have wisdom, if you have knowledge of God, then here's your antidote. Instead of all this stuff that he had to break through for this guy, what if we could be rich toward God instead? Now I'll tell you, as I stand here in Horizon Community Church on a Sunday morning at the end of September in 2018 with all of you, I actually think you get this. And my wife and I were talking about this passage the last couple weeks and just praying through it. And I realized, like, I don't need to beat my wife over the head with this passage, right? Like, Melissa, I just want you to hear this. Be rich toward God or you're going to die tonight. <laughs> really? No, because she gets this. She's a follower of Christ. She wants to know what that looks like. And so instead I say, hey, this thing says be rich toward God. Like, we've talked about that. We found some ways to do that. What? We haven't talked about it lately. What does that look like right now? And she's like, yeah, I want, yeah, I want that. What, is, what does that look like? And I think that God actually has brought together a pretty unique community right here at Horizon where you guys get that. And in fact, some of what God has been teaching me about that in the last couple of years has come from some of you. And maybe you've heard some of these stories. I, I hear some of these stories where it's like, oh yeah, that sounds like Somebody who's going through their Bible verse by verse at Horizon and asking God, what does that look like for me? You, know, you may have heard you know, the family who was saving up some money to buy the lot next to their lake house to expand that property a little bit. And then they hear about the need for a soccer field for orphans who are getting a chance to explore God. And they say, well, that actually might be an eternal investment. Took the money from the lake house and built a soccer field instead. First time I heard that story? Yeah, that sounds like someone from Horizon. Or uh, I heard another one just, just last week. And I can identify with this one because I, I have this penchant to be a collector where it's like, I have 20, but 21 would be great. 
I have 30 and I can't use them, but they sure look nice on the shelf, you know, in the garage or wherever it is. And uh, it was a guy who had this collection until he realized one day, I don't own my stuff. My stuff owns me. I've got to protect it. I've got to clean it. I've got to keep it up. I've got to take care of it. I've got to worry about it. I've got to sell it. And so he sold his collection, took the proceeds, and actually gave some to different places in the community in Cincinnati and some right here to Horizon. I thought, yeah, that sounds like someone from Horizon asking, what does it mean, instead of being rich toward myself, to be rich toward God? And so I think, I'll bet, if I did an open mic right now, if we just took the next 10 minutes, which we don't have, but you can talk to me afterwards, (laughs) and just put an open mic, grabbed one of these and started passing it around, I bet you there's at, at least hundreds, if not thousands of ideas in this room right now of how you could bless people in this community, of things that you could do, are doing, have done, of ways that you feel like God has showed you to be rich toward God. And I love that. And so as I was thinking about that, I realized, you know, I want to tell you one that's actually happening right here at Horizon. Because there are a lot of good things to invest in. And when we're thinking about investing, preparing for what is ahead, I thought, you know, Horizon's actually a pretty exciting place to put an investment. And so there's there's one that... Melissa and I, as we've been praying about this, my wife and I have have been really excited about, really our our whole team is excited about, because as we've been praying as a team, talking as a team, talking to a lot of you, um, and you may remember hearing this, you know, back in January, February, but we are preparing right now at Horizon to multiply our equipping service. And the way that that's going to be possible is by upgrading some of our equipment so that if we upgrade our video equipment, the, the idea is that we'd be able to record the 430 or the 850 and actually show that again, one, two, three, four, five, 38 times a week. <laughs> That's probably an exaggeration. But the idea being that that creates new spaces for people to dive verse by verse into this book. To experience worship music together, live worship music, to experience communion and, and that's sort of like the, like the nuts and bolts piece of it. But here's what gets me excited. Because when I think about that, what I realize is that creates a new opportunity and a new space for my friend, my actual friend, whose name I won't tell you, who's sitting in the 10 a.m. right now, and he's been exploring God. But he's come to say that his faith is in Christ now, and I know that he would love a deeper dive into something like the book of Luke, to take this kind of challenging teaching and start to internalize this. And, and actually, as I was thinking about him this week, I realized so would his wife, and I'll bet this would be good for their kids too, and he could get into an equipping service potentially without even changing the time that he shows up to Horizon. And then the other thing that that does is that opens up a seat in the exploring service, for my other friend, who right now has been willing to meet with me for lunch about every other week and talk about things of God, because he, he kind of wants to know what God thinks, but he's not sure that the Bible really has that. But I've been challenging him a little bit. Well, why not dig into the Bible a little bit and just find out? Just see what, you know, if, if we claim that God wrote this book, what is it that God might have said? And wrestle with that for yourself. And so he's like this close to filling that seat in the exploring service. See, that's what gets me excited. Because this verse does not say, be rich toward Drew. Right? It doesn't say, be rich toward Horizon. 
It doesn't say be rich towards your checklist. Because then we end up like Pharisees saying, well, hey, at least I gave to the thing, so God should be good with me, right? It says be rich toward God. Right? And the idea here is really that if my trust is in my stuff, then I'm rich toward myself because I think that's what makes me secure. But if my trust is in God, then I can be rich toward God generous to others, making investments in people that last to eternity. Because God holds my future. Whether it's this night or thousands of nights from now, and he is completely trustworthy. And so that gives us this opportunity as we think about what is ahead, the idea that we can invest in what is ahead Instead of just building a bigger shed. Instead of just stacking that stuff up and wait until it deteriorates, breaks down, falls apart, or is left to someone else, we can invest right now in what is ahead. Because it's possible that we are some of the last investors who will ever live on this earth. So where am I investing? So I would encourage you, as you think about this passage... As you take in some of these words that Jesus is speaking over us, it it may be that this is something that he needs to kind of crack through that distraction for you. It may be that that you've learned this and and you're thinking, yes, that's totally true. I love that. I'm hearing you. I know for me, it kind of goes in cycles. It's like I learn it and I'm all over it for a few months and then something else happens and it's like I forget and I need that spirit to speak to me again. Remind me, Lord. Show me. Give me an opportunity. Where can I invest? How can I be involved? And so I'd encourage you, would you pray specifically about investing in that next phase of Horizon? Because I know as my family moved here from the suburbs of Chicago and left all of the grandparents who could help us with the kids, and all of those, like, part of it was because I really believe that God is doing something awesome and exciting right here at Horizon and that you're a huge part of it. That I know that there were people who came here before me who are investing in what is ahead, and they didn't know that I was what is ahead, but here I am, and I'm learning from it, and I'm loving it. And so I would ask you, would you pray about what that might look like? And I want to be very careful when you hear me say that, because I don't know about you, but I've been in these positions where, like, somebody just asked you to do something, you're about to say no, why don't you pray about it? Okay. It's like, what, what they actually mean is, hey, why don't you go feel guilty for a little while until you say yes to me? <laughs> I hate that. You know, whether it's on purpose or unintentionally, that feels so manipulative. That is not what this is. And here's why. Because I know that God is a lot more creative than I am. He's a lot more convincing than I am. He is a lot better than I am. He is a lot smarter than I am. And this thing right here that Jesus is saying is because of how much he loves you. It's because of what he believes your real value is. It's because he knows that your life is not about your possessions. God doesn't need your stuff, like as if he doesn't have enough. Better than anyone, he knows it's all going to burn up. It's about our relationship with him. And so the best way to respond to something like this is not to say, well, Drew said so, but just go talk to him about it. And whatever he might be laying on your heart, You know, maybe something in your family, with friends, in the community, where he says, hey, you could be rich toward me this way. And it may be something right here at Horizon. So would you just just talk to God about that?
I know that's, that's what I've been doing, letting him kind of work on my heart too and with my wife. And I would love to just pray that way with you right now. So can we close with prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for the words that Jesus speaks. Lord, you know that there are times that I open your book and I turn a page and I, I kind of cringe because I think, oh, I don't, I don't, can't, I don't want to read that one. And Lord, you know how good it is for my heart to slow down and read it again. And so I just thank you that you teach us what you know that we need to break through those distractions and keep our joy centered on who you are and who we are in you. Lord, I thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit that when we come into moments where we feel like we don't know what to say on your behalf, we can trust you to speak through us. God, what a gift. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart here this morning, you know, whether this is our distraction or whether the hypocrisy we talked about last week is or whatever that is for us, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would break through and to set those things aside that we might understand a little more today the love that you have for us, the riches that you've given to us, and how we can be rich toward you. Lord, I ask that that would not be um, a human construct or, or a human attempt to convince one another, but God, that it would just be our hearts open to you, hearing what you would speak through your spirit to each one of us. God, I ask this in the name of Jesus, on behalf of every man and woman here this morning. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for being here, and I want to let you know about one more thing uh, before you go, because tonight starts our Authentic Manhood series. And there's more details in the flyer that is in your program, but it's basically Sunday nights or Monday mornings, same thing, both time slots, where we're really looking into what does it mean to be a man the way that God built us to be, in my job, with my family, in my relationships. So if that's something that is interesting to you, um, you can find the details in that flyer. You can uh, sign up through the website, and that begins tonight. In fact, Ken Kington, who is going to be our primary speaker for that series, uh, is actually here today. So you can watch for him in the hallway if you want to poke him and say, hey, is this really worth coming to? (laughs) But if you're interested in that, please sign up or come ask some more questions. And we will see you next week for more in the Gospel of Luke. Thanks for coming.